quietly. I said, if you can send me a fox now with dad here, I'm not going to be able to doubt it that you're there. And I think the third one shot out across the road closer than any of the others. I think it was 30 seconds after I thought that thought. And that time, you know, three foxes in three weeks after 23 years of nothing, I couldn't dismiss that any further as not evidence to their survival. And dad, I mean, has, has never been, he's never believed in anything that he doesn't see with his own eyes. You know, he's always thought that ghosts and all that sort of thing is nonsense. I'm with him on some aspects with ghosts, but that's slowly shifting as I'm seeing more. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. just happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? In this episode, I continue my conversation with Darren McEnay of Seeking Eye as we talk about all the evidence that convinced us sciencey skeptics that there most likely is an afterlife. If you missed part one, you might be a bit confused because we dive right in from last episode. So first, listen to episode seven, What Convinced Two Skeptics That There Is an Afterlife, Darren McEnay of Seeking Eye, part one. A very concrete thing was bending a spoon. I mean, that just show. I bent a spoon once. I haven't been able to do it another time. And I think something that adds an evidence to that is I have gone to spoon bending events with other people that are more like have psychic abilities than I do. I mean, I really don't. And we would take the same exact spoons and we were all women about the same size, small, you know, not ones that can just bend metal with our muscles. 
And it'd be the same spoon. I would try to bend it and I couldn't. And I'd pass off the exact same one to someone with abilities and they could bend the same spoon. So the combination of having done it once to that, I mean, that's a very concrete, tangible thing. And really, again, all you need is one time. And I've had multiple. And when you say bending spoons, you don't mean like, you know, bending spoons. You mean like holding it and having it bend. I did bend it over, but not like using muscles. But not having to force it, yeah. So effectively, you kind of made the metal became a lot more malleable than normal, and it would just go itself effectively without with a little bit of force. Yeah, I felt it get really hot, like burning hot. But it was one of the hottest things I've ever felt. But it didn't hurt. It was a very weird kind of heat. It happened so fast, and then it just was like I'd been trying to bend it with my muscles before, just to test, you know, and. I didn't think this was going to work. I mean, I thought if anyone could bend a spoon, it was like exceptional person with, you know, who needed to be studied in a lab. And yeah, those people who need to be studied in a lab can do it more frequently than me. But it got really hot and suddenly felt really, really soft and just bent over really easily. And then it just cooled off and I couldn't bend it any further. So, I mean, that's pretty tangible. And that's just something that shows that the laws of the universe are not exactly how we think they are. And I've had so many multiple things, but I would say the most tangible combined with personal experiences are the scoring I've done in my personal medium readings and the bending the spoon. And then I'll add about my medium readings, the fact that I've noticed some were really fake too, or not good, or, you know, their hearts might have just absolutely been in the right place, but they weren't evidential. So I think that shows, again, if you want proof, I can't give you proof, but that is strong evidence that I'm not lying to myself because I really notice when they're not getting stuff. It comes to the um, it comes to the white crow analogy, which if people aren't familiar with it, effectively, it, it's a thought experiment that says, you know, well, someone can claim that there are no white crows in nature and you know that equates to people can say that there's no paranormal phenomena that takes place in nature and it only takes someone to find one white crow in the wild for that to be completely you know nullified the problem i find with paranormal stuff is that it seems that people have found these white crows in the wild but then you know the the skeptics or they're not skeptics but the debunkers have then said well you know some old lady went out there with a bucket of paint and just you know put some kind of permanent paint on this white crow it wasn't actually born like that or some chemical has been put in this white crow despite it being completely out in the open where nobody exists for miles you know and there's always going to be these kind of ad ad hoc reasoning as to why it can't be the case no matter how unlikely it is because of the i mean we haven't found one white crow now we found about no, we found millions of white crows at this point, um, but they're all they're all had paint thrown over them, or or you know someone's faked them. So it's it really is it's easy to spot these biases when they exist in both areas. I'll, I'll give you an example: a guy I know who's a he's a very well known atheist online. I won't give his name because I don't want to discredit him or whatever. Really, you know, nice nice enough guy. He's, he's quite formidable with um, being somewhat angry and somewhat. Uh, but I didn't have a problem with him. And he was saying, he was telling me about an experience he had um, where it was an experience of remote viewing or astral projection, I suppose is what he said. And what happened was he he knew a friend at school, a, a girl who could come out of her body and allegedly could get ridicule information. She said, um, go home tonight. I'll come and see you tonight outside my body. 
and I'll describe the room. So what he did, he decided to really put some controls in, which is, you know, good idea. He went to his friend's house to sleep that night. They rearranged the room. They had one bed with two mattresses on it, uh, one bed with one mattress that was higher. They put them at a, in a T shape. So rather, rather than having beds like that, they put them together like that. Uh, and the friend already had a, I remember one of the old film uh, movie reel players where they had the two bits of film on it, uh, the old projector things. You don't see them anymore, but he had them in there. And the next morning he went into school. She she said, yeah, I came out of my body and I found you. I found you in a room, she said. There was a, you, you put the beds in a T shape. One was higher than the other. One had more than one mattress. One had one mattress. And there was a big owl face in the middle of the room. And you can see that because the two reels of film, kind of big eyes and a, yeah, you can see why that would be interpreted that way. Even if you were to dismiss that, you know, having the T-shaped bed one higher than the other is pretty phenomenal. And I said to him, because he is very anti all this kind of this kind of thing, and he's very vocal that it doesn't happen. I said, well, what did you make of that? Because that's something that happened to you. And he came back and he said, well, since then, the lady who actually came out of her body no longer believes it could have possibly happened. So therefore, I don't believe it. And you think that to me, that that really does show a bias because you can't dismiss that something happened when you experienced it directly and reason that it couldn't have happened because someone else doesn't believe it. Because that doesn't make sense. It happened. You know it happened and you were part of it. So to me, I mean, that's that does show an inherent bias there. I dare say that he, he believes it for good reasons in his mind. But to me, that's a good example of a, of a bias and one that seems to me detrimental to really trying to look at this stuff empirically. I found this very interesting because it makes you think what bias means. Like a lot of times they say it's a personality thing, but there seems to be something in the brain that absolutely does not see things that don't fit into our worldview and just makes me wonder I mean, it, it makes you really think about consciousness and again, in a certain way and the brain being a filter because, you know, I know someone had mentioned Lloyd Arbach in the comments and if anyone doesn't know Lloyd Arbach, he is a parapsychologist and a stage magician. So he knows what to investigate and look for in fraud. And he told a really interesting story where a group of parapsychologists invited a bunch of ardent skeptics who insist absolutely there's no way non-local consciousness could be possible. And what they did, you know, again, I said Lloyd's a stage magician, is they took phenomena that these parapsychologists had seen and experienced and mimicked it in stage magic ways. And it wasn't drastic, like, you know, a light falling out of the ceiling, but it was stuff that was could not happen that they'd experienced. I would love to at some point find out exactly what and the skeptics just didn't see it it just wasn't even on their radar they didn't even question it they literally did not physically see it and to me that was i, I mean that i just thought that was is the word interesting like insightful like there's a very good example of that as well i don't i can't verify if this is true or not but it came to me from a guy called harold valak who's a He's a well-respected scientist. He um, wrote the Galileo Commission Report. If anyone doesn't know what that is, look it up. It's important. And he was telling me about in the old times before a heart was recognized as a pump of blood. It was assumed to be a kind of a convection heater in the body. And whenever it was suggested that the heart may be beating, might be a, a pump, 
whenever scientists listened to someone's chest, listened to the heart to try and identify a beat, no one, no scientist could hear a beat because they had that predetermined assumption that it, it cannot be a, a pump. We know it's already a heater. And no matter how many scientists would listen, they couldn't hear the pump. They couldn't hear a heartbeat. Only when, you know, more evidence was given, uh, I suppose, theoretically, that it is more likely to be a pump than not, all of a sudden, it was all, it started to be audible. They could start hearing it because their minds had been open to the level where they would allow themselves to hear it. And it's just interesting. I don't know how true that is, but that is a very strong example of, of biases taking place because now, if you listen to anyone's chest, you can hear a heartbeat. And there's no way of dismissing that it's not there or dismissing that it's there, you know. So if that is true, if they couldn't hear a heartbeat by putting their ear up against the chest, how strong must that belief have been for their brain to actively ignore something that's definitely there? We know our brain just fills in. I mean, it's one of the ways magic works is our brain will fill in stuff that isn't there that should be there already. Or, you know, I think it is we don't see the center of things does that make have you heard that like this sounds a little weird to explain if you haven't heard it but physiologically the way our brains and eyes work we do not see the center of things and our brain fills that in and i've even noticed editing my book i'm having like a final line editor read it and i've i don't know how i did this and i've worked with a professional editor already we've read it over a couple times and there were just stupid typos. Like I've left out ands or buts and we've read it over. And I think my brain literally would see an and when it wasn't there. Your brain fills it in. You know, I, uh, I watch a channel, which I always find funny, you know, an entertainment called Game Grumps, which is a couple of blokes who just play video games. And I saw a good example of that, um, that exact thing when they were playing a game and it was the, the game had little subtitles that was written. It was written in English, but in very broken English. Um, you know, missing a lot of ands, a lot of buts, and just not making sense generally. And they, as they read out these these subtitles in voices for the characters, you can see them adding little buts and little ands when it's not there because their brains are filling it in to make sense. And it shows you, you know, if you do that by simply playing a game, how many more everyday life situations do you find that your brain does that? You know, without you noticing that the, the errors are there. And it is, it is incredible. And it's, it fills in not only when you're reading words or reading books or whatever, it also fills in meaning as well, you know, when there isn't necessarily meaning there. Like, for instance, I can't remember the name of the effect, but as I said, when people post pictures and say that I saw my son and there's nothing there, but because they are so sure and are so insistent that they want it to be there, I mean, not consciously, but subconsciously, they want something to be there. Their brain naturally finds patterns I can't remember the name of the effect, but it is it is well known. And it's an example of how you can be so self-deceived. Um, and that's why it's so important that you recognize when the possibility of self-deception comes up. And again, which is why I mainly look at the empirical aspects of, of these phenomena rather than the subjective ones. And I'll give you another good example of that. Have you ever heard of the Pekindarian experiences? The what? Peking theory of... Peak, peak in Darien, P-E-A-K-I-N-D-A-R-I-A-N, I think. No. This comes from the Bible, uh, I think, where Darien is the name of a place beyond normal perception and people can peek into it to see things come, happen in the future or something like that. I'm not 100% sure. I've never read the Bible. But effectively, that describes, especially in near-death experiences or deathbed visions, when someone 
will get a glimpse of somebody, take the near-death experience where they come out of their body and go into this supposed transcendental realm beyond the physical. And they see somebody in heaven or in the afterlife who proclaims they're dead or is reason that they're dead because they're there. And when they come back, they confirm that that person died and nobody knew that they'd died. So for example, one case shows a person who saw, I believe it was their sister, 21 or 18 year old, very young. Uh, and they saw them in the afterlife and nobody had ever considered that this person might be dead. You know, the sister might be dead because she's so young. They just said goodbye to her on the phone. And she went off to university or something like that. And he, when they came back, he said, you know, I just, I just saw Jill or whatever. And she was, she was in heaven. Parents who were around him at, the, at, his, at his hospital bed said, you know, that's, we've, we've just said goodbye to her. You know, she's just gone. She's fine. But they got a call. I think it was something stupid like 10 minutes or half an hour after that, that story that they got a call from the police saying that she just, Jill had just died in a car crash. And, it, you know, it's things like that. That's the peak in Darien experience where things shouldn't happen. Another example, someone came out of their body and saw a person that they knew was dead. It was his dad or his grandfather. I think it was his father who had died years before. And he said, you know, I've got a gun. You never knew I had a gun, but I've got a gun and I hid it down the back of a cabinet in the in the basement. I want you to go and get it because I don't want your mum to have it. She won't know what to do. She'll panic. So the son, I think it was a son or daughter, woke up, was discharged from hospital and went down to that cellar and found it, as described, wedged behind the cabinet. And they'd never, you know, the son and the mother and nobody else had never known that he even had a gun, let alone had hidden it down the back there. And that's the, the example of the peak in Darien that adds a level of empiricism and um, a level of impossibility that shouldn't take place if none of this exists, if there is no continue, continuation of memory and personality after physical death. And that's another you know, example of white crow phenomena. Yeah, it, I can't tell you how many people, even people who aren't into this, don't believe this, so many people I tell these stories to or that I'm researching this and the responses are, well, I don't really believe this, but, and then they share the one or two things that have happened. And I think there's a misconception among the majority of people that if this is true, this is how it's supposed to work. And it's supposed to work as if you're communicating with one material world to another. I can't tell you how many people say, well, if you're talking to mediums, why don't they say, oh, you know, they should be able to hear your dad and have him say, hi, I'm Liz's dad. My name is Richard. You know, my birthday is this. This is our favorite memory. And it's going on a standard as if there's material and using language and have a voice box. And I don't think it needs to be so perfect to say something is happening that does not make sense by a material explanation. And I think that's one of the, I don't maybe problems is the wrong word, but one of the hindrances is, you know, the, the expectations, their expectations are such that they're incapable of seeing that something inexplicable is still going on. And I think they could, you know, people can admit that, Something isn't making sense how it's going on. And that doesn't mean you have to have a definite answer and maybe let go of the concept of if this was true, this is how it has to work. And if it doesn't work exactly this way, it's not true. I've heard a lot of arguments 
of people saying things like, no, well, if heaven exists, then there'd be billions and billions of, of humans and animals and you know, there'd be no space. Of course, that's assuming that space works in the same way, you know, again here. And also that, you know, people have said, I wouldn't want to live forever. You know, if, if the afterlife is this eternal realm, it would be horrible to live forever. And I'd say to them, I agree, it would be, but only if you take the assumption that time exists in the same way there as it does here. And, you know, from these cases, it doesn't, not at all. And I, I hear that a lot. And it does underlie some of these, some of these assumptions that are made subconsciously that are so common that you wouldn't think to, to notice them. And with mediumship, I interviewed a medium who did a reading for me and she was describing how process of mediumship works. And it comes often, it depends what type of medium you are, if you're clairsentient, clairaudient, clair, whatever else. But for her, because she's clairvoyant, she sees things and the spirits come through to her. I I think she does hear things as well, but the spirits come through to her with uh, symbols and these symbols represent something they want to communicate, but she has to then interpret those symbols in a certain way that is correct for what the message is. And something I pointed out, because I did a video recently where I just had a look at some mediumship readings from John Edward and some other people and just gave my thoughts on it. And I think uh, an issue with people when they analyze mediumship readings is that they automatically equate misses with fraud or bad guesses. Whereas the the other possibility, which is according to what this medium told me of how she works is just as likely is that if they're receiving and the, the guy, John Edward, especially even said so himself in the, in the reading that he's receiving symbols and he has to interpret those symbols in the correct way. Now, because he's human, because all other mediums are human, any misses may not be down to fraud or bad guesses or bad cases of cold reading. It could be down to the simple fact that they've misrepresented or misunderstood a symbol that they were given. And I think the example from the John Edward one was he saw outer space or something. Uh, and he was, you know, I mean, if you see stars in outer space, that could mean a huge number of different things. That could mean they, you know, the person that died likes science fiction space-based things the person who's being read likes space related things you know they would like star trek they like star wars you know they've been up near space in a recreational flight or you don't know it could mean so many different things so i think sometimes when things seem to be fishing it could be it could of course be that it is a case of fishing where they're looking for information to to not to falsify a message but it could also be that they've got this this symbol they haven't got a clue what the hell it could mean. So they're trying to dissent what it means. I don't know if that's right, but they're trying to understand what it means by asking and refining what that could possibly mean. So it's difficult. Is it fishing or is it just clarifying? I think it depends on the medium. And that's why you have to look over the whole reading. You know, I've definitely had ones where no doubt they were fishing. An example I have, I'll try to give an example of a fishing example versus that, you know, the misinterpretation of, the information they're getting is my my very first reading, which, oh my God, I'm so lucky. She was so good. And apparently I found out later through one of my friends, you know, someone I've become friends with since in the medium world that she, he, he was like, I can't think of a better medium for you for a first reading. He's like, she's not about the emotion. She's not about spirituality. She's just like, just give proof, just facts, nothing else. And she kept saying, 
what happened on either January 20th or something in the month of December. She's like, I keep getting January 20th. I keep getting January 20th. I was like, I can't think of anything. And I actually, my mom had come with me to the reading, although she wouldn't come in the reading room. Just at that point, it was in Long Island and it was shortly after my dad's death. And I was having like too many panic attacks. I was like, take the train with me. And she like, of course, thought this was such bullshit. So she was like, trying to be nice and was really worried about me because she's like Liz is going to be devastated because it's going to be really stupid and it wasn't thank god and she was kind of amazed by that but so we called her in and we're like what's January 20th my mom's like I have no idea and then the woman is like okay I just keep seeing 120 120 January 20th and we're like oh my god 120 that is the building number of our home and when my dad was in the hospital and not very coherent, he kept saying, 120, we've got to go back to 120. Take me back to 120. And so we were just like, holy shit. And the medium's like, see, that's an example. And then, you know, she got stuff about my dad's personality after because she's like, he's laughing. And he's like, what's wrong with you? It took you so long to get that. And that's, you know, very much his personality. And so that's an example. I mean, how can you be fishing with that? Which is you know, very different than probably my worst medium reading, which I'll, you know, if this helps anyone for what to look out for. And I, I'm knocking her because she's intentionally bad, I would think. I had went to a few, one who got nothing, you know, or a few who got nothing. And they, you know, ethically, they said, I don't know why everything I'm getting isn't working. Like, I'm giving you your money back. And others who I could just see were genuinely trying and maybe were more spiritual minded than fact and evidence minded and their hearts were totally in the right place but it wasn't aligned with me who wants evidence and you know they were saying things like your dad loves you and I could just tell they were really trying and they just weren't you know which I think a huge majority are that way but I'd say the worst you know and she was very clearly fishing because she was like she was going through every single family relation and she seemed a little uncomfortable that I wasn't giving her information and she finally got like I finally had to tell her my dad and then she's like oh he's showing me your mom and what's this I'm seeing like a big diamond ring did he give her a big diamond ring like one in the middle you know of two solitaires and I was like I mean that's the most cliche wedding ring so she kept doing stuff like that like saying things that were very generic and kind of expecting me to narrow it down for her and you know she was getting pretty upset because I wouldn't do that and she finally you know, it was pretty upsetting because it was my third reading now. I would just kind of laugh about it. But she then said, what, I don't understand, what is it you want out of this reading? And I said, I want valid evidence that consciousness could survive a brain, something inexplicable. And she kept saying, you know, it's so interesting that you keep saying you want proof and you're not, I'm not getting you proof. What this is about is you learning to have trust and faith without needing proof. That's what your dad wants for you. And I was like, you fucking idiot. Like, come on, you know? Care is a charity organization founded by Emma Justice after the loss of her father, David Justice, to glioblastoma. Club Care is dedicated to supporting children and families dealing with cancer. They strive to create joyful moments through meaningful projects impacting individual families as well as larger oncology communities. Funding for all projects is raised through philanthropic donations. Go to makingheadway.org backslash 
Club Care Programs for a complete list of programs and activities. But if, if, your dad, if your dad knows you, then he'll know that you want evidence from him and that you won't be satisfied with just taking something on faith without that evidence. I had one, um, a woman I went to, who, again, you know, she seemed, it's difficult to say whether she was in a, a good morally, good moral standing of what she was doing or whether she was doing it knowingly, if it was fake. But it, it was just the case of, you know, she asked me, first of all, who do you want to come through, which is alarm bells for me? Because she was persistent, I just said, you know, my grandmother, who had died, I think, very recently, a week or, or two weeks before. And she came through with all this, you know, I've got your grandmother, a bit too quickly for me. And she said, I've got your grandmother. Uh, she had very knobbly knuckles and very knobbly knees, and she liked to bake. And that's every person's grandmother. In that, in my instance, it wasn't actually the case because my nan didn't like baking at all. She was Irish and she'd never actually done anything like that. She, of course, she had knobbly knuckles and all that. And to me, you know, just some of the other things she was mentioning was very, very generic and very, you could apply it to anything. You know, there's always something you could match it to. Now, to me, I wouldn't say it was strong enough evidence to prove that she was fake. I'd say that it just wasn't evidence to show that she was genuine. Because a lot of people have, had been to her and had said to me, my work colleagues had said to me, you know, she's brilliant. She's got facts through. So I'm not going to say that she's completely fake. I'm just going to say that that reading for me did not constitute evidence to suggest that she was genuine for me. And I think that's that's a, that's a problem, especially with the likes of the um, the Randys. And, you know, I don't want to trash him because he, he passed. And, you know, certainly James Randy did a lot of good things. He he, he did show up a lot of fakes and and. and showed people that you really need to be careful when you're doing this sort of thing and he did some really good work but i think when you apply it to all mediums and you take every miss as evidence to show that they're fake as opposed to just not evidence that they're genuine then what you know you're you're never going to be satisfied i don't think unless you just happen to have that one instance where it is completely and utterly impossible for any physical means that they would have known which is increasingly more difficult to get through Facebook and social media where any information really is accessible, which is why you've got to be careful to use, you know, sometimes fake names or just don't give them any information. And I'm studying, I'm doing a bachelor's degree in psychology. And uh, even since before, then, you know, it's, it's clear that the majority of communication you give when you're talking to somebody is not, or is not vocal. It's what your expressions are telling them. It's your body language, it's your expressions, you know. So, and no doubt there are a lot of cold readers who can pick up on that sort of thing. So, if you're going for a mediumship reading, you have to go with an, with an air of genuine skepticism, not de uh, debunking. I'm not going there to debunk. I'm going there, I'm not going there to believe, I'm not going there to debunk, I'm going there just to, to investigate. But you've got to take precautions. As I say, you know, don't give them any of your name, don't give them any information, personal information about you. And you've got to be very hyper aware of what your face is doing. That's enough to tell them you, they've got a hit and I can follow this road down and go a bit further. So, you know, just if you go to a mediumship reading in, in the aim of investigating, you've got to be very hyper aware of what precautions you need to put into place or, and it, to make it as scientific and as objective and empirical as possible. Because if you happen to come across a fake, they will take advantage <laughs> and they're very good at it if you don't know what to look for.
And I'll say also in terms of facial expressions, you can do a phone reading under a fake name, Google voice number. I've done that. And that blocks every way of cheating. And, you know, a cold yes, no. And I've had some that were completely unable to function with that. And I'm not assuming they were dishonest. Sometimes they might actually believe they're getting information. And then I've had some that just blew me away. I mean, there they are, no face, fake name, Google voice number, and they're getting stuff. They knew my dad's name, they knew my uncle's name, they knew a sign he'd given me. I mean, so there are some that, you know, I literally took every single precaution. I'm like, they're defying the laws of the universe. And right here on this phone and not all of them it's a good example that i heard from a guy i interviewed called graham who's a uh, induced of death communication uh, therapist that's a whole other thing but um worth looking at it's an interesting thing but his wife is a medium and he was telling me a very good example of what would constitute very strong evidence for genuine mediumship because he was telling me right my wife didn't know about the person that she got through and um, it was his oh, i can't remember it was something like his his br- brother-in-law first removed or some kind of relation like that that they hadn't really seen much of. And, you know, shotgun, she was bang, bang, bang facts and obscure facts. The, you know, the, um, the guy's name, she'd never met the guy's mother's name, his job, how he died, he hung himself, I believe. And, you know, one after another, after another, after another, and without pausing, without getting anything wrong, one after another. And that, to me, is... That's how you can tell a genuine medium from her because she didn't have to fish, didn't have to ask questions. Fair enough, she was his wife, but they, he was very clear that she didn't know this guy at all. It's like you know me trying to describe my second great aunt. I, I've never met her, you know, I haven't got a clue. And that to me is is the way that you'd want an evidential medium to be, one after another with facts. And sometimes you say it's not possible, depending on what sort of a medium they are, if they rely on symbols as opposed to hearing specific words. But obviously, you know, his wife was one that could get that. And that is a good example of, I can't dismiss that as, as luck. Obviously, I'm taking it on faith that this guy is telling me the truth, but I know the guy, you know. So and it, it's things like that, that that's, that is, constitutes to me good evidence. I've got a question here. Why do you think so many mediums are women? And I think just I, th- I don't know. I think just biologically, women are much more in tune with emotion than men, uh, much more intuitive than men. And I, I suppose I don't know if it's a difference in the brain chemistry, in the filtration system of the brain, if that's the case. But somehow, I think women are just more able to receive communication that way. Men generally are a lot more skeptically minded, or you know, very strong, strong emotion, very strong opinioned, and a very easy, not. It's not easy to to convince men of opposite ideas to their own. Whereas women, it is much, much easier to them. Women are much more humble. I think. Do you think that's biological? I mean, this is a whole other discussion (laughs) not worth getting into, but I wonder if that's biological or sociological. Yeah, I think, well, I think getting into it, I mean, very briefly, I think there, there must be some kind of biological component because it's, it's so, there's such a clear distinction between, men and women's openness i mean of, of course there is sociological implications but because there are so many more women than men that are able to do that that tells me that there must be a more fundamental difference biologically um i don't know i haven't got a clue but it could be more spiritual than biology i don't know but to me i, I think it would make sense if there was some kind of biological mechanism there 
I, I'm curious. I also wonder if you compare that's in our culture, you know, Amer- America, the EU, if you were to compare much more spiritual based cultures, would that still apply? It's a good point. I don't know, because I know that the Eastern philosophies are much, are much more open to the spiritual side of things and, and men and women alike seem to believe similar things. Although it seems to be kind of a, a an internationally recognizing that, that women are generally more emotionally sensitive and more intuitive in general. I don't know how true that is, but from what I've seen just on my 25 years being here, that seems to be the case. So I don't know. I mean, we're, we're speculating. I don't know. I'd say there seems to be some sort of biological foundation, um, but certainly cultural influences are very, very strong. I mean, especially these days, you know, men are becoming a lot more sensitive and a lot more open to their emotions. And a lot of that is um, social media stuff and just the change in culture. So I don't know if that means that male biology is, is evolving and changing or whether it is purely social social factors. It's really difficult to say. Yeah, I think that's a whole other topic. And dangerous to get into. Yeah, and just, yeah, not really about afterlife evidence, but it's interesting. I mean, I think it would be very interesting to research, but yeah, completely different. I guess I'm curious to know, have you had, or what would you say is the most like, what the fuck, what did I just see or experience moment? Is there a standout one? Hmm. Good question. Yes. When I lost Ty and Omi, my two, my two boys, my two dogs, um, we lost them <laughs> and I don't want to start, I don't want to start blubbering, but we, we lost them both on the same day and we weren't expecting them to go. And Ty, we knew he had, he had liver failure and we were expecting him to go at some point. You could see him getting, getting worse, but Omi was perfectly healthy until we took him to the vets to get his teeth checked. And they did a preemptive kind of check over MOT and they found that his liver, and I'm sorry, Ty had kidney failure, found that Omi's liver was completely riddled with, with tumors. And as things panned out, luckily we were able to have them put together, put to sleep together at home. Um, and they went on the same day because if we'd, Omi could have gone on for another six months, but it would have been a painful six months. And, you know, both physically and emotionally, he'd been with Ty all of his life. So we thought he'd want to go with him. So they went together. And after that, foxes, as, you, as a lot of people who watch my channel probably know, is one in the corner down there. I've always liked foxes. And I said to Ty and Omi after they passed, on the off chance, I said, you know, come and see me. And I said to them, you know, send me a tame fox. Because I'd lived in, in the house before where we are now. We moved uh, this year. And I'd been in the previous house for 23 years. Never seen a fox. And I said, you know, if... If you're there, send me one. Send me a tame fox and I'll know. We went out for what we started doing walks at night, me and mum, just for a bit of exercise. And we went out at night during the snow and I said to them, you know, send me one of these. And as we were walking around, suddenly one shot across our path in front of us. And I thought, that's unusual. That's the first fox I've ever seen here in 23 years. But we rarely go out at night. So maybe I just missed them. Although mum used to go out with Ty and Omi every night. The only time you'd ever seen a fox was over over the back fields where you'd expect them to be, never on the street. And this thing ran across the road. So I thought, yeah, okay, okay, fair enough. That's unusual, but I'm not going to make anything. I'm not going to get my hopes up. Another week or two later, we went back out and I said, you know, 
always thinking, you know, if you're there, send me one. And we went out and a second shot across a little bit closer in front of us on another road. I thought, okay, that's unusual. That's two foxes in two weeks after 23 years. But I won't think much of it because it wasn't tame. It didn't come anywhere near us. It just ran across the road. And I think it was two or three days following that, Dad came out with us. And every time Dad was with us, nothing ever happened. So I said to Tainomi quietly, I said, if you can send me a fox now with Dad here, I'm not going to be out of doubt that you're there. And I think the third one shot out across the road closer than any of the others. I think it was 30 seconds after I thought that thought. And that time, you know, three foxes in three weeks after 23 years of nothing, I couldn't dismiss that any further as not evidence to their survival. And dad, I mean, has, has never been, he's never believed in anything that he doesn't see with his own eyes. You know, he's always thought that ghosts and all that sort of thing is nonsense. I'm with him on some aspects with ghosts, but that's slowly shifting as I'm seeing more. But he had an experience where we were out, me and mum were out at the shops or somewhere. And dad was at home with Cody, our puppy. And he was upstairs. Uh, and downstairs was a, a, a dog ball that when you press it, it squeaks. Uh, and it was, it was quite sensitive, but you need a, a good, you know, a good squeeze to make it squeak. A fly landing on it wouldn't do it. You know, neither would a gust of wind rolling it across the floor. And he said this thing squeaked and he was upstairs. And he came downstairs and nothing was there, of course. The ball was still where it had been. It hadn't moved. And that convinced him, you know, as, as strong-minded as he is, that Ty and Omi were there visiting him. I mean, mum smelt them on a number of occasions. They've moved, according to mum, they've moved the um, the curtains when she's asked them to. And I don't know, I wasn't there. For dad to say something like that, I know that he saw something. And I know that he would have done what he could to to, to debunk it, I suppose. And the foxes for me were just enough to get me really considering that they were there. So that's, I think, that's what, apart from that, I haven't seen much. That's pretty impressive. Actually, I think you'd be a good one to ask this question because I get this a lot, and this was a big thing for me in the beginning, why I had a hard time believing this. Randy, you know, I mean, I know you asked me this too on your podcast, but still, if anyone doesn't know, Randy, who has since passed away, it's called The Amazing Randy, and he's a stage magician. He set up a challenge for mediums, psychics, anyone making paranormal claims. So Randy posed a challenge. Anyone who shows these abilities will win $1 million and no one ever won. And I know for me early on, I was like, well, if no one's won the million, none of this can be true. And I've since changed my mind, but why, what are your thoughts on why no one's won the million? From what I know, and we've got to be careful with this because there are a lot of people who are <laughs> very stringently um, in support of him and very vocally so. So you just got to be careful how you tread around this subject, unfortunately. But I think I've spoken to a few people on my podcast and personally who have looked into James Randi's challenge and just the you know the, the logistics behind it, the, the the legal stuff behind it, the fact that you have to sign all your rights over to James Randi, whether you pass or not. Uh, the fact, the way the the challenges are set up. And I mean, one of the guys I talked to, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Lloyd Auerbach, but I'm not going to say that because I don't know for sure. had mentioned meeting Randy and he found out that Randy had a, a hidden microphone on his lapel and was recording the, the discussion with him. I don't know why, but um, and of, course, of course he hadn't told him that he was doing that. And it just kind of added a little bit of 
incredulity to, to James Randi and why would you trust that sort of thing if he does that sort of thing? I don't want to speak ill of him because he, he's dead. And as I say, you know, he's done a lot of good things in terms of proper debunking of, of, of fakes. And, you know, his work does need to be respected. But in terms of a scientific approach to paranormal or a parapsychological phenomena, a challenge isn't the way to do it. Because science relies on, you know, especially this kind of area, statistical analysis, reprodu- uh, reproducing, um, replication, and, you know, peer review. A, a simple challenge won't do that. Um, it might show a good example, but a, a lot of people will then say, well, Randy was clearly duped or someone managed to cheat the system. There's a good book called Randy's Prize, which looks objectively at the the process of signing up and going through the tests and qualifying or not qualifying and all the legal stuff as to uh, how it works. I haven't read it, but I've read it excerpts and it's, it's interesting. I, again, I, I don't know enough about the challenge to really say it's, it's good or it's not, but from what I've seen, what I've spoken to people about and their opinions from the, like the professional uh, Lloyd Auerbachs and Stanley Krippners, most people don't regard James Randi's challenge and the fact that it wasn't passed as credible evidence against the genuineness of parapsychological phenomena. That's what I'd say. I think that'd be fairly safe to say. What I'm going to add is two things. First of all, the Winbridge Institute, which studies and researches mediums, one of the things that was very important to them was to work with mediums in conditions that they say they're capable of working. That doesn't mean allow them to cheat if they're like, oh, we can only work with giving readings if we meet the person first, have their real name and sit in a room separate with a good internet connection. I mean, nothing ridiculous. They were able to eliminate all for all the reasons or all the ways someone could commit fraud or, you know, do a cold reading, which example of a cold reading is like, you know, reading someone's signals, for example, if, you see someone, an older woman, for example, is missing a wedding ring and you see whiter skin and not tanned skin, you know, and that's a very simple reason that experts are better at it. But that would be an example of cold reading saying you've recently lost a husband. So Winbridge said that they actually work with the mediums in how their abilities work. You know, for example, I mean, you'd have to read one of their studies, for example, but Randy wouldn't work with in how their abilities work. And the other part is no readings flawless and these abilities aren't flawless. So he wasn't working with the odds against chance. If you made one mistake, you didn't pass. And I mean, I'm sure all of us wish the abilities worked that way, you know, but as mediums have said, it's more like playing charades than having a conversation with a physical person. It's interdimensional communication given, which sounds so like, woo, but I mean, I don't know how else to really word it. It's not going to be flawless. Like talking to someone on a cell phone isn't always flawless. Sitting face to face with a person, you in the same dimension bodies in the same room, you sometimes mishear each other, misinterpret. So you've got to think that it's more complicated. And so mediums get information wrong. It's that's why you score it with a percent. Did you know if they get your you know, my dad's name, our favorite memory, what he did for work my uncle, my grandfather's work. And then they say something completely wrong. Like, Oh, I have your mom here on the, your mom's past. No, she hasn't. I I mean, it's still, they've known things that they are incapable of knowing, but then they got something wrong. 
Yeah, I think it's not it's not only a percentage of hits versus misses as well, but how obscure the hits are and how unlikely they are to be guessable. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. So this week, Brittany asked, are the famous mediums and the mediums that all the celebrities love really that much better than all the others? So I think it really makes no difference in terms of mediums who have celebrity clients and testimonials from them. It really matters what the scientists and researchers say, not so much what celebrities would say. The scientists are really experts in studying psychic medium abilities, and so they know how to test to assure mediums are not cheating or giving cold readings or just giving general information. You know, just because someone is an expert at entertainment or really amazing in the public eye does not necessarily mean they are good at critically assessing psychic mediums. You know, maybe they're super gullible and believey about that kind of thing. But, you know, I don't think it says anything negative about a medium either. Some of the best mediums I've ever seen do have a very public, well-known clientele. But those ones are also certified by Forever Family Foundation or Winbridge and have been studied by scientists at universities. Some of the best I've also seen are very low-key. I also did go to one who had a lot of celebrity testimonials, and this was early on in my research, and I was actually curious about testing this exact question. And to be honest, this was one of the worst readings I've ever had. Just so you know, she was not certified by Winbridge or Forever Family Foundation, but she didn't get one bit of evidential information. And she seemed really annoyed and uncomfortable with me that I kept only saying yes or no and not giving, well, actually really just no. I don't think there was any yeses. And she really seemed like she was trying to get me to give her information. She finally just asked what I want to even get out of this reading. And I said, valid evidence that we survive bodily death. So then she said my dad was now telling her to tell me I needed to learn to trust and that I'm way too suspicious. Of course, I'd had to tell her that I lost my dad. And I mean, that reading's a whole other story. I'll probably talk about it at some point on this podcast. So back to the question, in terms of mediums also who are famous themselves, I don't know. The few I know who are in the public eye or used to be that I know personally and I've watched work, or maybe I don't know them, but I had a private reading with them. Those were all ones who were also studied by scientists or certified by Forever Family. They were all amazing, and they've been among the best I've seen. But, you know, some of the ones that are famous themselves apparently aren't. Um, I don't know if you've heard of a skeptic called Susan Gerbic or Jerbic. I'm sorry for pronouncing her name wrong, but it's spelled G-E-R-B-I-C. And she's not a researcher officially. I mean, she thinks all psychic medium abilities are nonsense. But, you know, I'd be so curious for her to go have a reading with one of the ones that have really impressed me and see what would happen. Who knows? But back to her, she did a sting of a famous medium. Again, I'm just going to say not certified by Forever Family Foundation or Wimbridge. 
But so back to this, she did a sting and she caught him cheating. I won't name him because I'm not going to name and shame, but if you're really interested, you can Google it. So if she had tried those same tactics on the famous mediums that I know, I know it wouldn't work because they're not cheating that way. And so I guess my point is overall, I think fame or being lauded by celebrities is completely irrelevant in terms of mediums capabilities. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. Approximately 185,000 murder cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. On average, 66% of homicides are solved each year. So what about the other 34%? Alarmingly, the number of murder cases that went unsolved by police hit a new high in 2020, resulting in only 50% of cases being solved, leaving far too many families with no answers, no resolution, no closure. 
That's why we investigate and report on unsolved cases, to spread the word in hopes of helping families who are searching for answers. We don't sleep, we're just actively looking for her. These girls were alive. They were living, breathing people. They weren't a picture in the media. There was a, a body found in a truck recently. None of us know anything about that body. Who, who was it? What happened? What could have happened? Who could have been involved? There's no answer. And, and it's just horrible. A true crime series investigating mysterious unsolved cases. Real people, real stories, real crimes. Tune into Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are at Speaking of Crime on Instagram and Facebook, and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. Are you an advocate, a changemaker, a healer, or an expander? Does your business have an important story to tell? A story agency can help you craft and share your business's story with the right audience. A story is a public relations and communications firm that develops thoughtful strategies, content, and powerful partnerships for those who are making a positive social impact, sparking reform, and promoting well-being. Founded by Allison Mahoney, an American lawyer who has spent the past decade advocating on behalf of survivors of social injustices, crimes, and civil rights violations, a story agency is not your average PR firm. Reach out to a story agency today at hello at a story, e -S -T -O -R -I -E, agency com or visit www.astoryagency.com and mention WTF just happened in the subject line to receive a free 30-minute consultation. Now we're kind of getting a little close to winding up. I think we've covered pretty, pretty extensively the current position of these phenomena. I think it's been a good one. Pleasure to be on. I appreciate it because you came and did a podcast on my channel as well. So we're kind of going backwards and forwards with each other's stories, which is always good. If you want to find me, just go to um, www.seeking-i.com. All the links to all my socials and contact information is, is on there on kind of a splash page. So that's the best way you can find me or on YouTube. Just type in, type in Seeking I and I'll come up. get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them, trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, 
Have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened.